Hello and welcome to episode 172 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is my privilege to be with you. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. We are recording on Wednesday, April 27th, 2022. And we're going to be looking at in two parts, the first today and the second tomorrow, an exclusive from catholicfamilynews.com entitled Bishop Schneider on Synodality. We love Bishop Athanasius Schneider here at the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. He is wonderful, a true pillar of orthodoxy and a beacon of truth in these difficult times we are living through. But be not afraid, my friends, how many times in the Gospels, how many times in sacred scripture are we commanded to be not afraid? to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, mind, and strength. This was published on April 25th of this year. Subtitle is, Church Should Be Focused on Rooting Out Sources of Corruption, Not Conducting Opinion Polls. Excuse me, this article first appeared in the April 2022 edition of Catholic Family News. There's a quote here that says, It is without doubt that God wants his church to focus on rooting out the sources of doctrinal, moral, liturgical, and spiritual corruption that have plagued her for decades as a means of restoring health to the church in our day. Thus says His Excellency, Athanasius Schneider, an auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of St. Mary and Astana, Kazakhstan, in a lengthy new interview with Catholic Family News on the subject of synodality. To establish as a principle of synodality, such things as discussing, chatting, and conducting opinion polls, is alien to the church and definitely resembles the methods of heterodox groups. The Kazakh prelate of German descent stated in reference to the current Synod on Synodality, which began last October and is scheduled to conclude in October 2023. The method of synodality proposed by Pope Francis that includes debating with people of other faith traditions, people of no religion, and even with people characterized as etc. will ultimately obfuscate the faith. In this wide-ranging interview, Bishop Schneider responds to questions involving not just the current synod, but also the institution of the Synod of Bishops itself by Pope Paul VI. Pope Francis' concerning understanding of synodality, based on a false ecclesiology, the true nature of the census fidei, sense of faith, and its authentic function in the Church, and His Excellency's thoughts on continuing efforts to eradicate the traditional Mass and other liturgical rites of the Roman Church via Traditionis Costades and the Responsa Ad Dubia. Drawing from his expertise in Church history and the Fathers of the Church, His Excellency holds a doctorate in Theology and Patristic Sciences at the Patristic Institute Augustinianum in Rome, Bishop Schneider offers many valuable insights into the role of synods, local, regional, and universal, throughout church history and how the modern concept and practice of synodality, beginning with Paul VI's creation of the Synod of Bishops in 1965, is indeed a novelty in the entire history of the church. And furthermore, it represents a superfluous multiplication of ecclesiastical structures and bureaucracies in the life of the church. As His Excellency wisely observes, it is always healthier for the life of the church to have fewer permanent structures, since every structure creates not only bureaucracy, but also clerical bureaucrats. When asked 
what he would set as the agenda for a future synod if given the opportunity, Bishop Schneider said, I consider that the agenda of a synod of bishops should focus on the elaboration and presentation of a detailed profession of the truths of the faith relating to some of the most common doctrinal, moral, liturgical, and pastoral errors in the life of the church of our time. That's because Bishop Schneider has common sense. Here follows CFN's exclusive interview of Bishop Athanasius Schneider. Catholic Family News. Thank you, Your Excellency, for taking the time to conduct this interview. Perhaps we could start by discussing the modern institution known as the Synod of Bishops, which Paul VI established towards the end of the Second Vatican Council, 1962 to 1965, via his apostolic letter, Apostolica Solicitudo, excuse me, let me try that again. Apostolica Solicitudo, September 15, 1965. Therein, Paul VI wrote of his conviction about the necessity and importance of making ever greater use of the bishop's assistance in providing for the good of the universal church. It was Vatican II, he says, which gave him the idea of permanently establishing a special council of bishops with the aim of providing for a continuance after the council of the great abundance of benefits that we've been so happy to see flow to the Christian people during the time of the council as a result of our close collaboration with the bishops. How does the aim of Paul VI's new institution, which appears to be a perpetual continuation of Vatican II, differ from the traditional function of local synods and ecumenical councils throughout church history? Bishop Athanasius Schneider. The Synod of Bishops instituted by Pope Paul VI in 1965 as a permanent structure or an advisory council of bishops on the universal level of the church is indeed a novelty in the entire history of the church. The underlying theoretical base for this new structure is the doctrine found in the Vatican II document Lumen Gentium, according to which there are two permanent supreme subjects or agents in the governing of the universal church, i.e. the Pope, alone, and the College of Bishops with the Pope. Such a doctrinal affirmation is ambiguous, although the so-called preliminary note of explanation attached to Lumen Gentium gave an explanation to avoid an erroneous opinion. There nevertheless remains room for diverging interpretations. The idea that there are two holders of the supreme power in the Church does not correspond to the constant teaching of the magisterium of the Church. The collegial character of the episcopate was manifested throughout history in the practice of assemblies or synods for the aim of defending the integrity of faith, morals, and discipline. Typically, they were held only when there was a real need on the, lo on the local, regional, and with the approval of the Pope on the universal level. Our Lord Jesus Christ instituted Peter as the only supreme personal shepherd of his entire flock, including both clergy and faithful. Peter is also the only rock upon which Christ built his church. See Matthew sixteen eighteen. There are not two rocks or two supreme shepherds, i.e. a personal rock and on his side a collegial rock, or a personal supreme subject, shepherd, and on his side a collegial supreme subject, shepherd. Pope Leo XIII expressed the constant doctrine of the church regarding this matter as follows. We must note that the due order of things and their mutual relations are disturbed if there be a twofold magistracy magistracy of the same rank set over a people neither of which is amenable to the other. But the authority of the Roman pontiff is supreme, universal, independent, 
that of the bishops limited and dependent. It is not congruous that two superiors with equal authority should be placed over the same flock, said St. Thomas. Cardinal Charles Journet, who lived from 1891 to 1975, gave the following masterly explanation. The bishops taken collegially, by virtue of a straight union, participate in the universal jurisdiction, which remains in its own place in the sovereign pontiff. They jointly exercise with him the acts of the supreme jurisdiction. The supreme and universal jurisdiction resides entirely first in the sovereign pontiff. It communicates from there at the Episcopal College, which is united to him. A bit like life, which is first of all in the heart, communicates itself from there to the whole organism. It can be exercised either only by the sovereign pontiff, either by him in solidarity with the Episcopal College dispersed in the world, ordinary magisterium, or assembled in a council, solemn magisterium. It is unique, but has two residences, one in the sovereign pontiff, the other participated in the episcopate taken collegially. It would be more precise theologically to speak of the different modes of the exercise of the one supreme power in the church, i.e. the personal mode by the Pope alone, which is the ordinary way of governing the church, and the collegial mode, when the Pope formally associates to the supreme acts of governing and teaching also the College of Bishops. The Pope is not strictly bound to associate in a permanent way the College of Bishops in the acts of the supreme governance. Even though the Episcopate has a collegial character according to the divine constitution of the Church, the Pope must be free to decide the modes, circumstances, and frequency of such collegial acts, which depends on historical circumstances and the concrete needs of the time. A teaching which claims there is on the side of the Pope another permanent subject of supreme power as a collegial organ, even though presided over and governed by the Pope, restricts in some way the freedom of the Pope and makes him feel obliged to permanently involve the entire episcopate in the supreme governing of the Church. The term synod chosen by Pope Paul VI contains some ambiguity, since the expression sacra synodis, sacred synod, is also an official designation of an ecumenical or general council. CFN. Do you think it was necessary or even prudent for Paul VI to institute a permanent council of bishops of the Universal Church, Apostolica Solicitudo? Bishop Schneider. The aim, in itself valid, to consult the bishops in questions of governing the Universal Church is already fulfilled in a sufficient manner with the structure of the College of Cardinals, since it is composed almost exclusively of bishops. Furthermore, each Roman dicastery has bishops as members from different countries. The institution of the Synod of Bishops as a permanent structure and the quality as a consultative body with the prescription of holding regular assemblies represents a superfluous multiplication of ecclesiastical structures and bureaucracies in the life of the Church. Besides the existence of the Sacred College of Cardinals, almost all bishops, as well as the Episcopal members of the Roman dicasteries, the Pope could also consult other bishops throughout the world and ask for their opinion in written form. It is always healthier for the life of the Church to have fewer permanent structures, since every structure creates not only bureaucracy, but also clerical bureaucrats. Structures also demand regular gatherings involving considerable financial expenditure. Instead of the current institution of the Synod of Bishops, with its prescribed relatively frequent general assemblies, a bureaucratic and financial expenditure, the Pope could convoke on an occasional basis, and thus in a freer and flexible manner, 
representatives of the Episcopate to discuss or decide important ecclesiastical issues. Catholic Family News. Moving on to the current synod on synodality, October 2021 to October 2023, Pope Francis stated during his opening address for the two-year synodal process, if we want to speak of a synodal church, we cannot remain satisfied with appearances alone. We need content, means, and structures that can facilitate dialogue and interaction within the people of God, especially between priests and laity. This requires changing certain overly vertical, distorted, and partial visions of the church, the priestly ministry, the role of the laity, ecclesial responsibilities, roles of governance, and so forth. October 9th, 2021. He went on to quote Father Yves Congar, 1904-1995, a Dominican theologian known for modernist tendencies prior to Vatican II, who once said, there is no need to create another church, but to create a different church. What are we to make of such goals as changing certain overly vertical, distorted, and partial visions of the church, and even creating a different church? It seems that Pope Francis wants to introduce a new ecclesiology, i.e. a new understanding of the church and how she functions, does it not? The Good Bishop. Such formulations of Pope Francis and the quotation of Father Yves Congar insinuate a substantial change in the understanding of church and of the life of the Catholic Church. It presupposes that the Catholic Church over the course of 2,000 years had a distorted and partial vision of the church, and that only with Pope Francis in the synodal way is the church able to arrive at a correct theological understanding of herself. The use of the words overly vertical by Pope Francis is ambiguous as well as tangentious. Something is vertical or it is not vertical. There cannot be something half vertical or one quarter vertical. Such figures would be a distortion and a caricature of the natural meaning. When something is not utterly vertical, it loses its stability and becomes distorted. God establishes church as a hierarchical body. When the law of verticality is not observed in a body, i.e., if the command center of the brain is damaged or disregarded, then the body will suffer confusion and detriment. The criticism of the principle of verticality in the body of the church, which Pope Francis is doing, is undermining the divine constitution of the church and amounts to yielding to the mundane spirit of competition between the members of a body. Something about which St. Paul has warned us. In a body, there are, in virtue of its natural constitution, substantially different parts. Some are more visible and responsible for governing, while others are more hidden and in need of governance. See 1 Corinthians twelve seventeen through 19 and 22 through 27. Excuse me. God gave to his church a clearly vertical constitution. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Regarding those whom God has appointed to positions of authority, Pope Leo XIII taught, These then are the duties of a shepherd. To place himself as leader at the head of his flock to provide proper food for it, to ward off dangers, to guard against insidious foes, to defend it against violence, in a word, to rule and govern it. Encyclical Satis Cognitum, number 12. The mutual collaboration between the hierarchy, the vertical line in the mystical body of Christ, and the lay faithful was always taught by the magisterium of the church and is not a discovery of the current synodal path. The following quotation from Pope Pius XII can surely not be deemed to be a distorted vision of the church. One must not think, however, that this ordered 
or organic structure of the body of the church contains only hierarchical elements and with them is complete, or, as an opposite opinion holds, that it is composed only of those who enjoy charismatic gifts, though members gifted with miraculous powers will never be lacking in the church. That those who exercise sacred power in this body are its chief members must be maintained uncompromisingly. It is through them, by commission of the divine Redeemer himself, that Christ's apostolate as teacher, king, and priest is to endure. At the same time, when the fathers of the church sing the praises of this mystical body of Christ, with its ministries, its variety of ranks, its officers, its conditions, its orders, its duties, they are thinking not only of those who have received holy orders, but of all those, too, who, following the evangelical councils, pass their lives either actively among men or hidden in the silence of the cloister, or who aim at combining the active and contemplative life according to their institute. As also of those who, though living in the world, consecrate themselves wholeheartedly to spiritual or corporal works of mercy, and of those in the state of holy matrimony. Indeed, let this be clearly understood, especially in our days. Fathers and mothers of families, those who are godparents through baptism, and in particular those members of the laity who collaborate with ecclesiastical hierarchy and spreading the kingdom of the divine redeemer, occupy an honorable, if often a lowly, place in the Christian community. And even they, under the impulse of God and with his help, can reach the heights of supreme holiness, which Jesus Christ has promised will never be wanting to the church. Encyclical Mystici Corporis, number 17. Catholic Family News. The Synod Preparatory Document, September 7, 2021, mentions two foundational texts that are referenced throughout the document. The address at the ceremony commemorating the 50th anniversary of the institution of the Synod of Bishops given by Pope Francis on the 17th of October, 2015, and the document Synodality and the Life and Mission of the Church, prepared by the International Theological Commission and published in 2018. One quote in particular from Pope Francis' 2015 speech is repeated in both the preparatory document and the official Vatimecum handbook, September 7, 2021. It is precisely this path of synodality which God expects of the Church of the third millennium. On what basis can Pope Francis claim that God expects the church of the third millennium to pursue this path of synodality, which according to the handbook includes consulting Catholics who rarely or never practice their faith, as well as people who have left the practice of the faith, people of other faith traditions, people of no religious belief, etc. Is it not more likely that God wants his church to focus on rooting out the sources of doctrinal, moral, liturgical, and spiritual corruption that have plagued her for decades as a means of restoring health to her human element? Bishop Schneider, it is without doubt that God wants his church to focus on rooting out the sources of doctrinal, moral, liturgical, and spiritual corruption that have plagued her for decades as a means of restoring health to the church in our day. An authentic synodality always had that precise aim through the history of the church. To establish as a principle of synodality such things as discussing, chatting, conducting opinion polls is alien to the church and definitely resembles the methods of heterodox groups. St. Gregory of Nazianzus considered the method of endless discussions and debates, which the Arians adopted, as a dangerous epidemic in the church, like the Egyptian plagues. As a saint himself affirmed, I am resolved to avoid every meeting of bishops, 
For I've never seen any synod end well, nor assuage rather than aggravate disorders. Very timely as well is St. Gregory's description of the behavior of the bishops of his time, who were delighted in giving many colors to the words. We serve the times and demands of the masses. We leave our boat to the wind, which happens to blow at the moment. And like chameleons, we know how to give our word many colors. The method of synodality proposed by Pope Francis that includes debating with people of other faith traditions, people of no religion, and even with people characterized as etc., will ultimately obfuscate the faith. The simple chatting and the opinion polls are considered as a kind of theology or culture. Against such a method of synodality, St. Gregory of Nazianzen already warned, in the palmy days of the church when all was well, the present, elaborate, far-fetched, and artificial treatment of theology had not made its way into the schools of divinity, but playing with pebbles which deceived the eye by the quickness of their changes, or dancing before an audience with varied and effeminate contortions, were looked upon as all one with speaking or hearing of God in a way unusual or frivolous. But since the sextasis and the pyros and the antithetic style, like a dire and malignant disease, have infected our churches, and babbling is reputed culture, and as the book of the Acts, Acts 17.21, says of the Athenians, we spend our time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Oh, what Jeremiah, Lamentations 1.1, will bewail our confusion and blind madness. He alone could utter lamentations befitting our misfortunes. Returning to the subject of ecclesiology, the 2018 ITC document, Synodality and the Life of the Church, refers to the ecclesiology of Vatican II, as well as the ecclesiology of the people of God, and asserts, the fruits of the new promise, renewal promised by Vatican II and its promotion of ecclesial communion, Episcopal collegiality, and thinking and acting synodally have been rich and precious. There is, however, still a long way to go in the direction mapped out by the Council. Hence, the new threshold that Pope Francis invites us to cross. In the wake of Vatican II, following in his predecessor's footsteps, he insists that synodality describes the shape of the church that emerges from the gospel of Jesus, which is called to become incarnate today in history and create a fidelity to tradition. What is the ecclesiology of Vatican II, and how does it differ from traditional Catholic ecclesiology? In what ways do you think the current synod will be used to further implement the direction mapped out by the council? Bishop Schneider, Vatican II gives pride of place to the expression people of God as the image of the church. The expression people of God has come to stand for the ecclesiology of the council. Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, however, has often claimed that this key term of Vatican II, ecclesiology, has been misunderstood in a sociological sense. With this pushing for democratic structures in the church and the vindication of majority rule as a result of debates and synodal assemblies, Cardinal Ratzinger stated that in the New Testament, the concept people of God, with perhaps one or two exceptions, refers only to Israel, that is, to the people of the Old Covenant. It is not a concept that applies directly to the church. The expression, the direction mapped out by the council, contains an abusive interpretation of the Vatican II concept of the people of God as a tool to invent a different church from that lived unchangingly through the ages. Cardinal Ratzinger rightly stressed the necessity of being faithful to what was handed over to us, the importance of the so-called democracy of the dead, i.e. the democracy of the saints. 
in the church, there is another element in addition to the example given us by the law of the state, which also has significance for the church. Namely, the fact that the church lives not only synchronically, but dichronically as well. This means that it is always all, even the dead, who live and are the whole church. That it is always all who must be considered in any majority in the church. In the state, for example, one day we have the Reagan administration and the next day the Clinton administration. And whoever comes next always throws out what his predecessor did and said. We always begin again from scratch. That's not the way it is in the church. The church lives her life precisely from the identity of all the generations, from their identity that overarches time. And her real majority is made up of the saints. Every generation tries to join the ranks of the saints and each makes its contribution. But it can do that only by accepting this great continuity and entering into it in a living way. And we will continue with part two of that conversation with the wonderful Bishop Athanasius Schneider tomorrow. Oremos. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Prayer for the hastening of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. O Immaculate Heart of Mary, Holy Mother of God and our tender mother, look upon the distress in which the whole of mankind is living due to the spread of materialism, godlessness, and the persecution of the Catholic faith. In our own day, the mystical body of Christ is bleeding from so many wounds caused within the church by the unpunished spread of heresies, the justification of sins against the sixth commandment, the seeking of the kingdom of earth rather than that of heaven, the horrendous sacrileges against the most holy Eucharist, especially through the practice of communion in the hand, and the Protestant shaping of the celebration of the Holy Mass. Amidst these trials appeared the light of the consecration of Russia to thine immaculate heart by the Pope, and union with the world's bishops. In Fatima, thou didst request the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays of the month. Implore thy divine Son to grant a special grace to the Pope, that he might approve the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. May Almighty God hasten the time when Russia will convert to Catholic unity. Mankind will be given a time of peace, and the Church will be granted an authentic renewal in the purity of the Catholic faith, the sacredness of divine worship, and the holiness of Christian life. O Mediatrix of all graces, O Queen of the Most Holy Rosary and our sweet Mother, turn thine eyes of mercy towards us and graciously hear this our trusting prayer. Amen. By Bishop Athanasius Schneider. The Prayer to St. Joseph for Purity by Father Donald Calloway. St. Joseph, strong spiritual father, defend me against sins of the flesh. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. St. Joseph, terror of demons, protect me from lust, immoral desires in my heart, and impure actions in my body. Help me not to offend God. Here and now I chain myself to you and sacrifice everything for the good, the true, and the beautiful. I love you, St. Joseph, and I thank you for being my spiritual father. Amen. Virgo potens, ora pronobis, sancti Joseph, terra daimonem, ora pronobis, in nomine patris et fili et spiritus sancti. Amen. Thank you so much, my friends, for listening to episode 172 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. Please share Our Lady's podcast with everyone you know and pray for the eternal salvation of Pope Francis, the Supreme Pontiff of the Universal Church. Goodbye and God love you.